Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. where we can come and we can enter. It says that the veil was torn from top to bottom. It wasn't just for the priest anymore, but that all people could come before the presence of God boldly and confidently and ask in boldness whatever they have need of and that their request would be heard. So some of you this morning, maybe you've made requests before God and you feel like maybe he hasn't answered. Well, God is really good at being a right on time kind of God. Sometimes we ask for a lifetime and we don't see it till we get to the other side, you know, till we get to eternity. But perhaps in this life, there's things that God wants us to ask for because he desires to release them to us in this lifetime. I know I need a whole lot more here on the earth versus in heaven. I know I'm going to be walking righteously, perfectly in my, in my, my heavenly built body when I get to heaven. Free of pain, free of suffering, free of a curse cursed world, but reestablished like God has designed it to be. So for those of you asking, those of you uh, believing for something in your life, hold fast to God's word because him who you request of is faithful to fulfill whatever it is that you may ask this morning. So I don't know who that's for, but I feel like somebody in here has been asking something of God. He said, man, I haven't seen it, Pastor Noe. Well, don't lose hope. The enemy wants you to lose hope. But remain steadfast because God is steadfast and he will be faithful according to his will to accomplish his perfect will here on the earth. Amen. So we've been talking about why study the Bible. This is week probably four because I'm going to count Pastor Jim's message also because he was talking about the importance of the word, the importance of studying the word. How many of you lately have been maybe reading the Bible more than you ever have in your life? How many of you have been reading it less? Never mind, don't raise your hand. You're like, oh, man. Because you write it there, you said, I don't want to raise my hand. Come on, the Word is one of the most important tools that God has ever given us in this lifetime. It can teach and preach things that I never can from this pulpit. So we've got to be people of the Word. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to align our lives and our churches around the principles of the Word of God. So today, if I'm going to give it a title, I'm going to give it the title that the Word works. You say, well, in which way, at what time, what, when does it work? The Word always works. doesn't matter which way you apply it, what you believe in God for. According to His Word, it shall be done. Okay, so now some people think that, man, if I ask God for anything, He'll do it. But there is a phrase in there that says, according to my will and my purpose and my plan. And then there's the God variable. What I call the God variable, there are sometimes God just says no. But Lord, no. You know, I do that to my children when I get tired of them asking me, which I know that I thank God that's not how God's heart is towards us. But Cassidy, she has nailed me down lately when I'm, she thinks I'm not listening or she wants me to make a decision. She says, Daddy, yes or no. I mean, because like what I, what I usually say is, hey, I'll think about it. Give me, hold on. I don't want to, I, I, I stay indecisive about it, right? I don't make a decision. Daddy, yes or no? And she'll sit there and she'll look at me and she'll wait. Daddy, yes or no? And usually I just say no because I'm like, leave me alone. I don't want to decide right now. That's what that means. But God is a God that always hears us. He always acknowledges us and he does always answer us. Sometimes if God remains silent, 
there's a reason. It's not because he's mad. It's not because he's mean. Maybe he wants us to press in. Maybe he wants us to be quiet. Some of us can't hear God because there's too much busyness in our life. TV's always on. Radio is always on. Kids are always yelling. We can't ever find that place of solitude of, of quietness where we can really hear the voice of God. And some of us may be not being in the word like God really wants us to be, and that's one of the main ways that he speaks to us. I've never heard an audible voice of the Lord in my life that has leveled me to the ground. Now, if God wants to speak to me in that way, so be it. But he's spoken to me through his word countless times. He's spoken to me by by the voice of his Holy Spirit living within me multiple times. He shows me things all the time, like that little illustration I was telling you about the keys. I was just looking at it, and and he immediately will deposit something in my spirit that is the, the voice of the Lord speaking in my life. So the, the word of God, it always gives, it, it general, gives general guidance to everything, okay? And some of you may say, well, why is the Holy Spirit so important? I believe that the Holy Spirit gives specifics. The Bible tends to give generic guidance. What do I mean by that? You know, say, what are you, what are you, what are you saying, Pastor Noe? When I married my wife, I wanted to make sure that was who I was going to marry. I looked from cover to cover, and it never told me to marry Becky. I was looking and said, man, there's no scripture. Lord, show me a scripture. I couldn't find one. And I'm sure there's some of you that have made life-changing decisions that are not, should I buy this house at 3108 Skelly Road? Yes or no, Lord, show me. I couldn't find that in scripture, but that is when the Holy Spirit speaks specifically to a specific situation that I've been asking God for. Specifically. So when the Holy Spirit speaks, it's just like God speaking. It's just like his word speaking. It's just a different facet of the same coin. And when we listen and we, and we recline, incline our ear to his voice, he will give us specifics, guidance, where we can rest assured and we can know, man, yes, this is the perfect will of God. This is specifically what God has, has laid before me to do. Every critical decision in my life, I've sought the Lord and he's answered. There's been some hard ones. There's been some I didn't want to do. But the Holy Spirit spoke it to me, and then good friends of mine confirmed it in my life. So what do we know? We know that God always speaks consistent with his word. He will never violate what is in scripture. If you say, well, the Lord told me this, and it is contrary to scripture, I believe you're hearing the wrong voice. He will never violate it. We also have to know that God will never contradict his word. He always fulfills it. But the word of God is the only thing that confines God. It's his word. You can't tell him what to do. You can't tell him your opinion and make God change. But if you hold him to his word and say, your word says, then perhaps you get better results because you're, you're, you're making God agree to what he's already written in his word. And every single time we hold God, God to the standard of his word, his word works. If we make up our own agenda and say, Lord, do this or do that, and it's nowhere and it's contrary to the perfect will of God or it's contrary to the word of God, and then we get mad because it doesn't work. That's because our agenda doesn't work, but God's word always works. You guys get where I'm going with this? Hebrews 13, 7 through 8 in the NIV, starting in verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 
So these may be, you know, it may be a pastor, it may be a leader, maybe somebody that was influenced in your life, somebody of your past that really impacted your life. But it says imitate, look at their way of life, okay? And then it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this passage is talking about just like you have seen the faithfulness of the Lord all through Scripture, we serve the same God who is going to continually be faithful even in our lifetime. It didn't end just with the stories in the Bible, but it is the same God that we serve today that they write about in Scripture, that we read about, the one that created the heavens and created the earth by, the, by one word of his, of his tongue. It's the same God that he has remained faithful you know, we've seen the faithfulness of the Lord. You know, I think of the great flood in Genesis. You know, it says that he, he wiped out the whole face of the earth. It says that he was saddened that man had got grown, grown so far away from God's standard. You realize it's, God, it's us that messed it up. God never messed it up. Right? But he made a commitment. What did he say? He said, I will no longer flood the, wor- the world in this magnitude. I will never once again destroy all of creation. You know, then he says in his scripture, he says, and then I'm going to paint the sky with a rainbow that, that brings to your remembrance my promise to you. Now, I've seen some waters rise in Matagorda County like I've never seen. But these weren't the capacity that, that God was talking about when he flooded the whole earth and he destroyed all of his creation. So what has happened? His promise has remained faithful. Could God do it? Absolutely, but he will never violate his word. So we will never see a flood in that magnitude again. We won't, because that has been a promise of God's word that will remain faithful throughout a lifetime. You know, I think some of us ask the question, well, would God change his mind? You see, sometimes in Scripture he did, but that was the rare exception when somebody would plead with God. You know, I think of David. What did David do? You know, he sinned, drastically sinned, and, he, and God said, your, your, your son will die. So what did David do? He put, he put on ash, he put on sackcloth, and he, he fasted and he prayed and he pled with God. He said, please don't take my son. But what happened? Son died. But wouldn't God forgive David? He did forgive David. But he said there was going to be consequence for your sin. So we shouldn't, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't have to pay for our sins? Well, that time David did. So there's times in our life where, you know, God gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. But there's times in our life also where we are bound by our decisions and our sins have consequences. Why? Because God's word said they would. Now, why does God give us grace sometimes instead of what we deserve, which he does that every day in our lives if you realize it? Because God's a good God and he loves us. It says as Jesus came, he understood everything. He felt our pain. He was tempted in every way but was yet without sin. So we have to understand the nature of God. You say, well, you don't understand. He understood. He understood it all. And yet even in obedience into the cross... He fulfilled everything that he was supposed to. Jesus could have said, away from me in my Father's name, and he could have just, he could have controlled the whole variable, but he submitted, he yielded to what God had wanted to accomplish. He was all God, but he was all man. So the same God that was faithful 
in the past will continually be faithful in the future. We have to be a people that trust in God more than ourselves, guys. How many of you are independent, you can do it kind of guy or, or woman? You think you can do it, and you know, until you get in a bond, this guy right here is 100% honest. He's like, that's me, <laughs> right? Most of us are. We get to that place of where we get in a bind and we don't know what to do, then we call on God. But we have to be more confident in who God is in our life than in our own you know, strong suits or our strong areas in our life. We have to be God-dependent rather than self-dependent, okay? So I know this last week I shared this passage. I'm going to share it again, and I'm going to read a few more of the, of the verses because I think it really paints a good picture of what we're talking about today. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11 in the NIV, starting in verse 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we talk about that passage. What is it saying? God's way better than you, way smarter than you, and you can't figure it out. Just get, get over with it. Get, get used to it. That's what it's saying. It says, don't, you don't have to figure out everything. Let me be God and you be you. Okay? Some of us have a hard time with that, right? It's like, well, I, I think. Quit thinking. His thoughts are bigger than your thoughts. Even on your good day, you're still ignorant compared to God. Quote that if you want. Okay? Verse 10 this is where it continues to unravel. It says, and as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed to the sower and bread for the eater. Listen to verse 11. This is very critical. It says, so my word that goes out of my mouth, it will not return empty, but will accomplish that, uh, that what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So the word is very powerful. It accomplishes great things. It says that it, that it goes forth and it accomplishes the purpose for which God sent it. Every time we quote the word of God, it is powerful and it is active. We already talked about that. It divides the soul. It divides the spirit. It causes all of these things. It, it judges the attitudes of the heart. It accomplishes things. But when we send the word forth, it accomplishes what God has designed it to accomplish. Just like the rain and the snow cause life to the earth, the word will produce life in the hearer, in the heart of the unbeliever. It will accomplish the results that God has designed it to accomplish. Some of you say, man, I have this friend of mine who just doesn't, doesn't get it. He doesn't know the Lord. His heart is so far away from the things of God. How much of the word of God are you speaking into his life or are you just trying to convince him? Convincing won't save anybody. Because if I can convince you into salvation, somebody can convince you out of salvation. It's only the word of God that is going to penetrate the heart and change the heart of man. And accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. That's the only thing. We have to be people of the word. We have to share the word. If somebody's like, man, I don't know how to do this. Well, the word says. Well, the word says. And they'd be like, why do you keep talking about the word? Because that's the only thing that I know that works. I've tried on my own. I've tried to be good. I've tried to be good enough. It never worked. But when I applied the word and I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything changed. That's the word of our testimony, guys. If God did not do the change and you produce the results in your own life, you may not be saved because it's God that has to do the work. We can't just be a good person and, and be welcomed into heaven. It says that there's only one way to heaven. It's through the Son. Death, burial, and resurrection. It's a free gift. Not that anybody can boast and say, I was good enough. Scripture is very clear on that. It's only through Jesus Christ. 
You know, so one of the things that I've been really careful with lately and I strive to be is, is making sure that the word of God in scripture is applied the way that God intended it to be applied. Because some of us, we take the word out of context and we apply it to a certain situation and then it doesn't work and we get mad at God. And we say, God, why doesn't this word work? Doesn't it say this? And he's like, well, yeah, it says that. But did you read the little bit of passages in the, in the few sentences before that passage? So that's one thing I've been really trying to do. When I give you a scripture, I want to give you in context. I want to read a little bit before and I want to read a little bit after. Now, it takes a little bit longer. The sermon gets a little bit longer because we're reading multiple passages. But it gives us a clear picture. Let me give you an example. So how many of you guys are old enough to remember Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield fight? And all the young ones say, who is that? Do y'all young ones know who Mike Tyson is? Okay, he was a boxer. He's old now. Really old. There's some talk about them actually refighting again for charity, and I hope none of them, neither of them die. Because they were older when I was young, so they are older. But in that fight, you know, you had Mike Tyson, who was just an animal in the ring, man. He was just, you know, he was the one to beat. And then we had Evander Holyfield, who he always had this scripture on, on, his, on his short that said, Philippians 4.13. Who knows what Philippians 4.13 says? I can do all things. Okay, so if we just say that passage, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So for those of you who say all things, who, who says all things? Okay, Pat, Jim, I'm going to take you outside to the church building. I'm going to get you to stand on the ledge, and I want you to proclaim that five times and then jump. That you can do it and you won't kill yourself. So we can take that passage and apply it to anything, but is that really what God meant? So let me back up a few scriptures, okay? Because I want to teach you how to study the Word of God. I just want to say, hey, read this one scripture and apply it however you want. Good luck. Because Jim would die today. He wouldn't, I don't think he would make it. Same thing, you know, so Evander Holyfield, you know, he applied that scripture to boxing. He said, I would take out Mike Tyson, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ. Well, you know what happens if Pastor Noe decides to quote that scripture and fight Mike Tyson even today? Pastor Noe would die today. It don't matter if he's an old guy, he could still knock me square out, right? So it doesn't apply to anything. So let's look at that scripture. What does it talk about? It talks about being content Rather being fed or being hungry, you know, having plenty or having one, it says being content in all things, I can do all things through Christ. So it's contentment with life. It's not the, you know, let me jump out of this airplane with no parachute. I can do all things and you go to heaven that day. We can't apply scripture in a way that is unbiblical. And, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, and maybe I've been guilty of that a little bit to where I pick and choose and because I, I could use that to preach anything, guys. You can do anything through Christ. You know, it'd be like today if I say, hey, who, who does not know how to play the guitar? Okay, hey, come on up. I can do all things through Christ. Try to play a song. It's not going to work, guys. We cannot apply that scripture to everything, but it says being content in all things, rather, rather fed or hungry. That's what he was referring to. So if we want to call God at his word, we've got to make sure it's in context. We've got to make sure it supports what he's actually saying rather than what we interpret it wanting it to be. I know all of us have used that scripture probably out of context. I can do it, Lord. Help me pass this test. I didn't prepare at all. I can do all things. 
didn't say pass the test or not. It didn't, we're misapplying scripture. So I'm using a lot of illustrations, a lot of different things where we can maybe apply that. But it talks about being content. Now, if you can't make all your bills this month, or you're having to eat bologna sandwiches, which that's what I call when you get to hard times, right? You, you know, you're not making it. Then you can say, Lord, I can do all things. I'm going to be okay. I'm choosing to be content. I can make it and I will not die. Or let's say maybe you're in a season of fasting. Oh, I can do all things. Then you're applying it correctly because it talks about being content, rather hungry or full, having plenty or having very little. So let's just be really, really careful because if the word is going to work, we have to apply it correctly because it will not work if we misinterpret it or misapply it. Can I get an amen in the house? But you got to be people of the word because if you just read that one scripture, you're going to jump off that roof. You're not going to make it. So when we misapply the word, don't get mad, mad at God because it didn't work and we wanted it to. Okay? So the, all, the word always works Just sometimes we misinterpret it or we misapply it. So the word always works. The part we read, the part we speak, the part that the Holy Spirit has spoken, all of it works as long as it's from God and interpreted and communicated in a way that's consistent with Scripture. Let's look at Galatians 3, 1 through 5. New American Standard Version. In verse 1 it says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing that I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who pro provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, that's an easy answer, right? We receive salvation by the work of the Spirit. We sustain our lifestyle of Christianity by the work of the Spirit. There's nothing you can do in the flesh, nothing you can do in your own strength to sustain you. Okay? So faith applied to God, to what God says, will get the results. We have to bank God at his word. So hearing the word, applying the word, they, they should always work together. We shouldn't just be hearers of the word and not doers of the word. You guys, I'm sure have heard that. Don't just hear it, but apply it. But what we're hearing, making sure it's the word of God. So why should we study the Bible? Because the word works. So I want to look at three principles of applying scripture into our life, applying that shows how the word works. So we're going to look at the physical, the spiritual, and the financial, okay? So we're going to look at how when we apply Scripture physically, spiritually, and financially, we can see results in our life, okay? So some of you guys are going to listen to the spiritual, you're going to listen to the physical, and you're going to check out on the financial. I already know that, but I'm going to preach it anyway because it is the absolute truth of God's Word. And if God wants you to be financially blessed, you've got to know what His Word demands, and you're going to see what happens to the people that didn't do what God expected, okay? So first off, I, wanna, I want you to know that, you know, just because we're talking about being physically, spiritually, and financially blessed, you are not exempt from physical, spiritual, or financial troubles completely in this lifetime. Just because we talk about a financial blessing or physical blessing or spiritual blessing doesn't mean that you're going to be exempt. Some people think, well, I'm blessed. Now, that means I'm never going to be sick. Have, has, has everybody been sick in this room before? Oh, unbeliever, you, you guess you're not blessed. 
So what we're talking about is not that we won't experience some measure of these things, but we are not under a curse unto spiritual death, physical oppression, or financial lack. There's a difference between being cursed under something rather than just ex- being experienced. We live in a fallen world, guys. We're going to experience some of it, but we don't need to be bound by it. So as we talk about these scriptures, I want you to realize that, you know, we have to understand that, you know, when we follow God's guidance in his word, he promises to remove the devourer. So when, we, when you hear that word devourer, that is talking about the devil, you know, from the equation that we are not under a curse of sickness, that we're not under a spiritual oppression or a financial lack. So the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We have to realize who is the nature of the enemy and what is the nature of God. Right? But for those who are, who are alive in Christ, you should no, no longer be under a demonic devil influence in your life. And with the blood of Christ came the blessing, came the breaking of the curse over our lives. Now, some of you want to stay there because you don't believe God's goodness and God's word for your life, or you've never applied it. But how many of you know applying something is believing something? If you don't apply a principle, why do you not apply it? You don't believe in it, maybe. He's like, I don't support that. I don't think that's right. I don't think, you know, it, but if you believe in something, you're going to apply it. Okay? So the enemy wants you to, when I say kill, steal, and destroy, the enemy wants you to live an unhealthy short life, to be spiritually dead or oppressed, financially broke and indebted. Okay? So if you live a short life on the earth, that gives you less time to accomplish the things for God, especially if you're a believer. Now, if you're a heathen, the devil really couldn't care less. He's just like, hey, keep doing what you're doing, sinner. You're on my side. Keep it up. Right? You know, so, so we want to live a healthy, physical, well-lived life. We need to take care of our bodies, right? So spiritually dead. You know, a spiritual dead person, then the devil isn't worried about either, right? Somebody who is spiritually oppressed or somebody who is not, doesn't know Christ, but he wants to keep those people bound, is the thing that the, that the devil doesn't want us to realize. Those who are addicted or bound or suffering or don't have a relationship with the Lord, the enemy wants to keep them there. But the Spirit of God says, I've called them to be free and free indeed. No longer bound and oppressed by the plan of the enemy. But we see the big picture, right? So, and if you're broke and in debt up to your eyeballs, it's going to be very difficult to make a financial impact in kingdom things. Notice I said kingdom things, not selfish things. There's more to it than just me being financially successful for myself, but it allows me to contribute to a kingdom bigger than anything here on the earth and make investments into the kingdom of heaven. John 10, 9 through 10, in the NIV, it says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Then you will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So when we look at these passages, that's what God is talking about. He wants us to have a full life, a healthy life, a satisfied life. We should be the most excited people living here on the earth. You're like, well, Pastor, no, it's pretty bad. The variable doesn't matter. We should still be the most excited people on the earth. One of the greatest times to live in. You're like, are you sure? Yeah, I think so. As I look at it, I think this is the most, I mean, I've never seen the church rocked like it's been rocked. I've never seen a line drawn in the sand like it is right now to either stand for your faith or deny it. 
man, I've seen so much division and separation, you know, back and forth. You know, I just stand back and, you know, see all the chaos. Man, we better be people of the word or we're going to be scared out of our minds. First and foremost, because the author of confusion, who is the devil, is stirring all kinds of stuff up. So I'm not saying I, I can't let a doctor or somebody that really knows speak, but right now, if you were just to look at social media or what people are saying about masks, you're supposed to wear one, you ain't supposed to wear one. Who knows the answer, man? I was like, ah, oh, well, I could pull this article up that says this way and this way. Now, I think that they help. Do they fix the whole issue? No, probably not. But do they help? Absolutely. But, but if I don't know any facts or I don't know what the truth says and I just listen to the interpretation of people, man, it'd be a confusing world, right? But I believe God will lead us in all things, amen? So physically, I'm going to tie physical and spiritual together. I usually break those up and put them in two separate categories, but really, I believe when we change things in the physical, it changes things in the spiritual, and when we change things in the spiritual, it affects the, the physical. Do you understand that? They're meshed together. It doesn't matter which one comes first or which one precedes which one. They are tied together. So when we talk about, you know, physical or spiritual, um, they're, they're tied together. So the spiritual condi condition is going from death to life, you know, and when that happens, when we go from death to life, our physical, our habitual ways of acting should change also. If my heart has really been replaced with a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone, there should be some change in my life. So if a spiritual change happens, there should be a physical change happening. If I cussed really, really bad before, hopefully, if God has really changed me from the inside out, some of that language should align with the truth of God's word. Now, some of us need a whole lot more polishing sometimes, it seems like, right? But if there has been effective work of God in our life, we should see results in our life. When there is a spiritual change, there should be a physical change. So when we don't know the Lord and we have no relationship with him, your spirit man inside has not yet been redeemed and you still have a heart of stone. You are still driven by sinful nature. You realize that? That's why sinners look like sinners. You know, you can clean up a pig, but he will always go back to his ways. That is the nature. But if you will change the nature... Perhaps they'll never return. But until that nature changes, you won't see the results. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, New Living Translation, it says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and, and be careful to obey my regulations. This change produces results in our life, causes us. What does it say right there? It says, it says, so that you will follow my decrees. I'll put my spirit in you, and it will cause that change in you. If we try to change ourselves, guys, we'll never do it. We look at certain areas in our life, we're like, Lord, help me. He says, I already am, but you need to let go of the steering wheel and let me handle it. We try to change it by driven nature, just saying no enough times or, you know, we just have to let go and say, God, you got to do something with this because unless you change it, I can't change this. I'm not the master surgeon. I'm just got to be, be yielded before God and allow him to come in and change what only he can change. 
So if we really continually look, act, and behave like the world, we really need to consider our spiritual condition. Pastor Noah, you telling me I'm not saved? Well, I don't know. If you see a lot of ugly fruit in your life, we got to evaluate that. So some of the questions sometimes that we ask, you know, you know, are we continually acting like an unbeliever? Is it possible that I've never been transformed? I'm not judging anybody or I'm not saying, you know, but I do want you to ask, look at those questions and evaluate yourself. Right? You know, if we're driven towards looking like Christ, desiring the things of God, then perhaps we've been transformed by the power of God. You know, I have friends that I used to work with at the plant. They could quote all kinds of scripture. I'd scratch my head and say, Lord, are these guys that look like the world and act like the world and talk like the world, are they saved because they know scripture? But you've got to look at the fruit. Even a parrot could quote John 3.16 if you really taught it to them. But that has no bearing on their spiritual stability. Okay, let's look at Matthew 7, 15 through 20 in the New Living Translation. It says, Beware of false prophets. They come disguised as harmless sheep but are, are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit, it is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as they can identify a tree by their fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. It's just scripture. Don't get mad at me. So, oh, Pastor Noah, I'm not judging anybody. But if the fruit looks like a dead fruit, the roots probably don't look too good. And I have to pray for a restoration of their soul. I have to pray for that transformation to happen. Because it says a good tree will automatically produce good fruit. It can't help it. But it is impossible for a bad tree to produce what? Good fruit. So the sign should be very clear. You're looking like a heathen, you're acting like a heathen. Oh, you might be a heathen. If you really have a relationship with the Lord, man, ask the Lord to do a work in your life. Because it's super hypocritical to confess to be a Christian and still look like the world. Something ain't working. Something's not right. Maybe we just said a prayer, but we never really surrendered our life. It's more than just saying a prayer, guys. Every day it says you are to crucify your flesh. You're to give up. You're to say, my life is not my own. I surrender my life to you. You do the work, Lord. And as that spiritual change happens, guess what? The physical change happens. So this is what the Bible tells us. Like I said, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but the Bible tells us that there is a way to tell the difference between a follower of Christ and an imposter of Christ. The fruit will not lie. Bank on that one, all right? You know, the Bible tells us to take care of our bodies and avoid sin, you know, in this passage. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 
18 through 20. So how many of you guys have heard the scripture? So like I said, I don't want to take this out of context, but it, it says, do, not, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and that he lives in you, you know, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. How many of you have heard that scripture? Well, how many of you know what that scripture is talking about? Let's back up a few scriptures because I want to teach you as we go, okay? So let's start right there. <laughs> if we start in verse 18. So here, Paul is talking about sexual sin. You're like, oh, Pastor Noah, you took it to a whole new level. Yeah, because I don't want to take it out of context and say just, hey, no alcohol, no drinking, go to the gym, take care of your body. What he was identifying here was sexual immoral, immoral sin. Like, Man, I'm going to go to another church. Getting too hard. Well, I don't want to just misinterpret the scripture and make it too easy because Paul was really hard about what he was talking about. Right? He says, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside his body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So who would want to cause harm to their own body? The sexually immoral. Whoa. Now, I'm not asking anybody to confess anything this morning. If you're squirming, I'm sorry. <laughs> but what he's dealing with is any form of sexual immorality. From what you see to what you do to, to who you're, I mean, anything. I don't want to water it down, but he says, this is how you keep your body whole. He says, when you sin in this way, this is how you commit a sin against your body. So, and then it goes on to say, it says, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So if God was concerned about sexual sin, how many other things is he concerned about when we talk about taking care of our bodies? What are the things? I mean, when we talk about just taking care of bodies, what we eat, how much exercise we get, you know, salt intake, all of these natural like things that really help, you know, we're eliminating a lot of sugar intake. You know, processed sugar, not natural sugar, but, you know, all of these things that we can do to take care of our body. Why does it matter? The longer we take care of this house, the longer it lives, the more effect we can have here on the earth. But there are specifics, like he says in this scripture, that sexual immoral, the, you know, it says flee it, run away, have nothing to do with it. It says that you are temples of the Holy Spirit. And I had a real good friend of mine you know, he told me, he goes, I don't know why people ever do sins that they do. Don't they know the Holy Spirit lives right inside of them? Because you think about it. Would you do the things you do if Pastor Noah was sitting there on the couch with you? Like, man, we're really going to watch this? No, we ain't watching this. You try to flip the channel or whatever you're doing. Man, this sure has a lot of, co I mean, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know it had that much. And you change it. Like, think about it. The Holy Spirit lives within us and he's with us every moment. Now, what do we want to do? Say, Holy Spirit. Put your nightshades on for a little bit. Don't watch this. Don't be, I don't want to expose you to this. And we do what we want. But if we truly believed and understood that scripture that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, he's with us all the time. Because how many of us sometimes also when we're dealing with sin or we're dealing with something, well, if somebody was just there to hold me accountable all the time, well, God did you a one-up. He put somebody inside of you to guide and correct and to convict. But we don't see it as that. We're like, all right, God, close your eyes. I'll repent later. Or whatever justification we make in our life to compromise and to do what we want. But when our spirit man is regenerated, we should be driven towards the nature of pleasing God rather than pleasing the sinful nature. 
I really got to get back to my notes because I'm like way rabbit trailed right now. But I believe it's super important to understand this. If we want to receive physical blessing and we want to receive spiritual blessing, we have to keep our lives in order to receive that blessing. We cannot receive that blessing and continually sin. You know how many times sin re- re- eliminated the promise of God over people's lives? Moses got mad and he hit a rock out of anger and he didn't inherit the promised land. When I look at that, I'm like, God, you sure are being harsh. Moses was a good guy. I probably would have kicked a rock three times with these people. You know, you think about and you know, it seems like God was being harsh, but there was consequence for that sin and he never entered the promised land. When they went from Egypt, they were traveling, but it says they they did not know God anymore. The next generation was raising, and they didn't know the promises of God or what he had accomplished. But as we come to the knowledge of who Christ is, our spirit man should change. When our spirit man changes, the physical habit should change. One thing I, I know, and it's so hard to do in this lifetime, is to eat well. You know, but I've been not necessarily struggling, but asking God this, saying, Lord, if you know everything and you can guide us in all things, show me what to eat and what not to eat. Now, sometimes I'm just like, I don't care, God, this is really good, and I want the dessert too. More often than not, right? You know, like being real and honest about that, right? But if God knows everything, he can also show me how to take care of this temple. He can show me what's right, and he can show me what's wrong. This message was hard, hard for me to prepare because I'm like, Lord, I'm not, I need to be sitting right there rather than delivering it. Because there's so many things in my life even that I need that God said, God, you need to deal with that. Help me with that, Lord. But as the spirit man changes, the physical changes. Well, let's say I begin to make a physical change. Let's say I quit eating the supersized fry or fast food altogether. Does that produce results? Absolutely. So both kind of work hand in hand, guys. So anybody who's not taking care of their body should evaluate if they are truly honoring Christ because he encourages to take care of this body. So when we apply scripture the way God intended us to, it causes health and wholeness in our bodies. When we bring our lives in alignment to the word of God, our spirit lives will also thrive. Okay, Proverbs 4, 20 through 23 in the New Living Translation. Starting verse 20, it says, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Do not lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Verse 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So we have to understand that applying and carefully studying the Word of God, it will protect our lives, spirit and body, physically and spiritually. It will protect those things. But it causes health and wholeness. I know we have to trust God, but we also got to do our part. I go to McDonald's every day. I say, Lord, help me lose weight. Come on. I got to do my part, and God will do his part. It requires a practical something to see spiritual something. But thank God for those spiritual moments that change our physical outcome. But they they both work hand in hand. I believe that physical health and wholeness can come into your bodies, that he can release that. It says, by his stripes we were healed. I don't need that in heaven. (laughs) I need that promise right now in my life. 
but I want to also live a life that models holiness and righteousness so that I can receive all of those promises of the Lord. Amen? All right, let's look at finances for a little bit. You know, I believe that financial freedom is one of the greatest blessings that God can give you in this lifetime. So what do you mean by that, Pastor Noah? Man, financial freedom and being financially blessed. You know, like, think about it. I cut off your money. I cut off your life. It's important to be financially blessed, to be at a place where you can provide for yourselves, where you can have a little bit to, to have fun in this lifetime. But then also the big picture, guys, is to bless others. It was, ne- it's never, it was never built out of a selfish motive when you talk about, you know, being financially blessed. But there is a cost. There is a requirement. There is guidance in Scripture that tells us how to be financially blessed. You can't act like a heathen and act like a fool and waste all your money and expect to be financially blessed. I mean, that's just not how it works. Well, I wanted this. I wanted that. I bought this. I spent that. I did all these dumb things. All right, Lord, now I need to be financially blessed. It's not how it works. We need to allow God to teach us how to steward all of our finances, not just the little bit that God requires. So being financially successful requires you to be a good steward of your finances, but we've got to make sure we're practicing those principles. Let's look at Malachi 3, 6 through 12. Now, some of you are going to strive to immediately discredit this because you say, well, I'm a, new, I'm a New Testament believer. I'm not an Old Testament believer. Well, how many things do we want to keep from the Old Testament because they're convenient, but we don't want to keep because they're inconvenient, or they, maybe they cost us a little bit more? We pick and choose what we want. So starting in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God does something here in Scripture. This is what He says right out of the gate. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. Let me pause there just for a minute. So you think God stood there and he, and he spread apart and He said, all right, Old Testament, New Testament, or did He say, I do not change? If anything, the standard increased in the New Testament versus being reduced or thrown away. Is there, so do, should we just throw away all the things of the law? They still, it still matters, right? Some of that is actually woven into state law. That is a biblical principle. Because in the New Testament, you know, in the, well, in the Old Testament, what does it say? It says, thou shalt not kill. In the New Testament, what does it say? If you even hate your brother is the equivalent. So we see an increase. So let's just remove the Old Testament for laughs and giggles, okay? Go kill somebody, see what happens. I don't believe in the law. There's going to be a direct result of being disobedient to the law. Well, I just killed him. I didn't hate him. Good luck with that. It's going to affect you, man. Like you can't, say, you can't throw it away and say it doesn't matter. So what I'm telling you is we look at this passage, understand that the God we serve today is the same exact God. If anything, the standard increased, but his grace also abounded a whole lot more. I'd rather live today than a long, long time ago. So I think I would die without air conditioning. All right, let's look at this passage. Get back to it. So in verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. So, uh, so what he was talking about was his faithfulness, but we got to understand the nature of God is consistent from generation to generation to generation. 
He doesn't get weary. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't change. Um, you know, but it says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. You have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, you know, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Now, some of us just stop there and say, well, maybe he's talking about salvation. Maybe he's talking about my relationship with him. Remember, I said, keep in passage in context. Because I could just stop there and say, you need to return, you need to make it a salvation thing. But what is he talking about? As we keep digging in, verse 8, it says, Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? I would probably ask that question too if God was like, hey, you're robbing me. How the heck do I rob God? Here's what he says. He says, in tithes and offerings. Verse 9, this is where it really gets to be a big deal. It says, you are under a curse. Not just you, not just your family, but it says your whole nation because you are robbing me. Verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and you will see if I not will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent the pest from devouring your crops and the vines of your field will not drop their fruit before it has been riped, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be, be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Almighty. Now, there's a lot there. Is there anybody in here that that's the first time you've ever heard that passage? Man, it's a big deal. Like if you've never heard that. So, so what, let's look at the whole picture. What is he saying? First, you're robbing me. So some of you guys, like, you know, it would be the equivalent of saying, God, I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to do nothing for you. Is that what we see? Or it says, hey, you know, really, when we come into salvation, what does God expect? Everything. It says your life is no longer your own. Every day take up your cross, crucify the flesh, and follow me. It was an abandonment to self. So here he was talking about the tithe and the offering. So if we go back in the Old Testament, a tithe, is, it, it constitutes 10% of all of your increase. Now some of you today, you, you know, your financial gurus, you can say, is that gross? Or before taxes, after taxes, you're going to wiggle. Man, if you're worried about it, go off the gross. You didn't shortchange God. You don't be like, hey, you should have done it before taxes, right? You know, I mean, if you want to get that, I mean, one up God instead of go down, like round up, not round down, right? So it talks about a tenth. So when we talk about tithes and offerings, tithe is 10% of all of your increase. In the old Bible days, it was fruit, it was crops, it was livestock, it was whatever it was. And it said, take it to the storehouse. Where was the storehouse? The what? The barn, who managed the tithe? The priest. So who were the priests? Like, man, I didn't know you were going to ask me this question. It's just late. I'm already dozing off. They were the carriers of the presence of God. They were the ones that, that housed the tabernacle. They were the leaders of the church of their time. So God had a strategic plan to allow the church to be independent, to do whatever they wanted where the government really wouldn't have to be involved in the big picture. And we didn't realize we were going to be reaping the benefits of that today. You guys realize that? We don't have to worry about getting a check from the government, but as the church faithfully gives that 10%, we're free to do whatever God puts in our heart. Now, some of you, so that, so that 10% was of whatever increase, you know, whatever it was, and then the, the offering was anything over above 10%. Now, if you want to really get scriptural, there was actually every three years where they took another tithe, Pastor, no, it's more than 10%. If you really want to get down to the nickels and dimes of it, yes, it was more than 10%. But 
But let's just start at the 10%, because if you can't do the 10%, you ain't going to get to the offering, and you're not going to get more than that. Because even the 10% is difficult. But what does it say in that passage? It says, you have robbed me. You have not given me what is mine. So does God demand or require some of our income based on that scripture? God demands it. But what does it say when we don't give it? What is the result? You are cursed. Now you're like, man, Pastor, no, you're throwing a curse on me. I'm not. The scripture is. If you don't give. But what does it say is the result of those who give? Because I don't want to stay in the doom and gloom and be like, man, you know, you're asking me to give money. I'm not even making it anyway. It's so hard to make a living. Maybe you're under a curse. But it says, when you give, here's what happens. It says, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing that you won't have enough room to contain it. Now, some of us just want the blessing, but we're not going to pay the cost. Now, this is so much more than just financial, guys, if you open your mind to it. Some of us want to reap the benefits of salvation, but don't count the cost and really serve God like God demands. We got our fire insurance so we don't go to hell, but we're not living lifestyles that are so completely submitted and, and yielded to God. And if things progress like they're going, guys, you will have to make a stand for what you believe in. Will you reject God or will you glorify him to your death? Because if we can't do it financially with 10% of our increase, you think we can do it if a gun is pointed to our head or, or our life is on the line? Let's make it more personal. Let's take it to your children. Oh, Pastor Noe, this is, this is hard. I don't know where this world is going, guys. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know if there will become martyrs in the United States or not that have to take a stand for either standing with God or standing with the world. We saw it all through the Bible. Why, are we, why would it be so far-fetched to say, oh, well, we're blessed. We're the United States. We don't deal with things like that. Dealing things right now that I never thought we'd deal with. But as the enemy begins to strategically get put in place for the end, things get a lot worse before they get better. So when we give that 10%, it, begins, it releases that blessing in our life. It allows that prosperity. You know, it's not just a prosperity gospel. It's a prosperity gospel at some cost. You know, we want the gifts of God, but we don't, but we don't remember the hands of God that were pierced for our transgressions. I want to go to heaven. But do you know what Jesus did for you? It says that, you know, it instructs us that when we give, it removes the devourer. This is something I really want to highlight. What is the devourer? Man, I've talked to people that run into hard times, and it's like everything in the world keeps breaking. They get in a car wreck or something happens and then their fridge breaks and then they fix their fridge and then their floor falls through and it's just, it dominoes. And they hate me for it, but my first question is like, man, are you tithing? Well, 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 well. Because if you want to know what in the world the devourer looks like, it's like you're trying to make it, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're scooping, you're making ground and you're getting buried on the other end. The devourer is stealing. He is robbing from you. Rather than the provision of the Lord, you know, we got some new appliances maybe a year and a half ago, two years. We did not get the extended coverage protection. But when we got those appliances, I said, Lord, I tithe faithfully. I told my kids, I said, come here, put your hand on the appliances. They were completely confused what we were doing. 
I said, we're going to rebuke the devourer that these things would have long life. I said, I know statistically the guy told me they only last two years, man. They're not built like they used to. I refuse that to allow the devourer to rob me because I am a tither in the house. You know, I didn't just start tithing women when I became a pastor. I had a guy ask me, he saw my truck this weekend. He goes, man, that's a nice truck. I said, yeah, the Lord's been good to us. But that took a lot of discipline. It took a lot of structure. It took a lot of savings. I didn't just go into debt up to my throat over it. Right? But I see the provision of the Lord in my life. Those appliances are still going, so we put the prayer protection plan over them. We said, Lord, we give. I say that they last a long time. You know, and then, God willing, Lord, help them keep going. Like, I mean, if it dies now, it is what it is. But it's that same thing. What was I talking about, guys? You know, at the beginning, I said, just because you give, just because you honor God at giving that tithe, just because you honor God in giving offerings, maybe, doesn't mean that nothing will ever break. Some stuff is China made nowadays, guys. It's not made to last forever. Stuff is made to break. You realize that? I can't keep making money if stuff lasts forever. Part of that's business strategy. So we can't get mad when just sometimes bad things happen. But there's a difference between just bad things happening and being 100% under a curse of the devourer removing all of this stuff from you. So the ultimate goal of financial prosperity is not what you, is more so what you can do for others rather than just benefiting yourself. So there's two perspectives on giving. Okay, getting real close to finishing up. All right. The, the first one says, I can't afford to give right now. We've all been there. I've been making very little. I've been making a lot. I've been making somewhere in the middle. Like, you know, if you live long enough and you work enough jobs, there's some jobs you don't make a whole lot of money. Then there's some you make a whole lot of money. And then sometimes God asks you to make a little bit less. And it's either God that God provides in every variable. That's what I've learned, man. You know, I'm, I've been, and I go back to my first worst job I ever had. When we had Samuel, and I look at what I made per year, and I was like, how in the world did I make it? But even in that moment when I could not afford to give, we gave. Right? So you have the first category, I can't afford to give. And what's the other side? I can't not afford to give. Because I know that if I'm working and I'm trying and I'm being diligent and I can remove the devourer from the equation, I can get to a place of financial freedom and be financially blessed and do all that God has called me to. Now, we got to work for that sometimes. Like I told my buddy, I said, hey, that was some of my STP years. That was some of my, you know, getting a cheaper house, getting out of debt. Like there was multiple things that allowed me to get to where I am now. Would I want to go back to square one? Oh, no. But it took work. It took discipline. Just, just didn't miraculously appear, right? Still requires something of you, being a good steward, being diligent. But we got to know that there's never going to be a good time to give if you're not a giver in the house. Right? Well, if I just have a little bit more money, then I can start tithing. Well, how much more? You know, I, I think it's one of those balances. Like, and the enemy is going to always strive to make you think that, man, you know, just work a little bit more over time, then you can start giving. Meanwhile, he's involved in the equation and devouring everything you're trying to build. So when we align our giving with what God expects of us, it, re it releases God into our finances and multiplies our seed, and it will remove the devourer from the equation. 
So there's so much more that scripture talks about giving. It talks about how, you know, how we should give. It talks about the attitude in which we should give. It talks about the promise that God provides, you know, when we give in a way of everything else that we have need of being provided for. You know, we really don't need that much to live and survive. You know that? And in America, we get so caught up in the luxury of life. Oh, I got to have that. And, you know, like, you know, I think it's funny. Like, sometimes people get new furniture. Well, I needed new furniture. What's wrong with the old one? Ah, oh, I just had it for a long time. It's brand new. It's fine. You know, man, I needed a new truck. Really? Man, your last one was nice. Man, you didn't see my old truck, huh? <laughs> like, you know, when you really need something versus we just, you know, get caught. And I'm not saying that we don't reap the benefits of being blessed, guys. I'm finally, for the first time in my life, thinking about a boat versus a truck. Now you're like, oh, pastor, can you? Yes, God's blessing me, man. You know, I'm trying to pay my bills. I'm trying to pay off that truck. Man, but I got a boat or a jet ski right behind it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Why? Because I got to find some stuff to do to keep my sanity. You know, I told my buddy, too, I says, I don't believe in, in, in believing this financially, spiritually poor mentality either. I believe that God can provide for the house. He can provide for a pastor. He can provide for whatever you do in your life. I've been an advocate of always working hard whatever I do. You don't think I work come up here Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday. I'll probably be here unless I take a week off. I try to work hard. I try to be disciplined. It's not something you just, you're just, don't be lazy and expect God to reward that. It's a whole nother sermon, right? You do your part. God does his part. I think it blesses God when he sees the people of God financially blessed. But it's not a, hey, look at me. Now, does some of that benefit me? Absolutely. So I keep going back to my truck. When I drive that truck, I don't know how the heck I drove my old truck. It's like, this thing is so nice. I can see everything. I get cold in my truck when it's 103 out. You know, these small little luxuries of just God's blessing in our life. But I believe in my life, guys, the obedience of his word, I have seen a financial blessing in my life. But I've aligned my lifestyle to align to his word. Will I ever stop tithing? Man, God, I hope not, unless I don't get a paycheck. I mean, I guess that's the only time I would not tithe. But as God provides increase, I continue to give him what's his. I do my part, and I believe God to do his. You guys stand up with me, and we'll close. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.